the cyber attack in Las Vegas, ERP software mythbusters, and supply chain management trends in 2024 and beyond. Those are just a few of the topics we're going to cover here today on episode number 139 of Transformation Ground Control. This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberly. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 139. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. We're an independent consulting firm that helps clients throughout the world reach their third stage of digital transformation success. And joining me as my co-host, as always, is Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, thanks for being here again today. Thanks for having me. Excited for this episode. I'm excited as well. A lot of good stuff we're going to cover here today. But before we jump in, a couple of logistical things. One is uh, you can find new episodes of this podcast every Wednesday. Uh, you can find them by going to transformationgroundcontrol.com, or you can search on YouTube, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, and or go to audio podcast platforms. Uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find us there as well. But probably the easiest thing to do is just to go to transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can see all the past episodes there, uh, both in video format as well as audio format. So be sure to check us out there. Um, also, uh, this is the podcast that covers everything related to digital transformation. So we cover the people, process, technology, and strategy sides of transformation. And today, of course, is no different. We're going to cover all those things here today. We've got a great show in store for you here today. We're going to cover in the opening segments some answers from the or some questions from the audience. And uh, I'll give some answers, although one of these days, maybe we should ask the questions and the audience should answer. But we'll save that for another time. But in the meantime, we'll take audience questions uh, in the opening segment. And then we'll get into a couple of interesting hot topics and very timely hot topics. One in particular is the cyber attack in Las Vegas that just happened a couple of weeks ago. We'll unpack that case study there and what it means to CIOs and IT departments and organizations in general going forward. We'll also talk about uh, CIOs and chief marketing officers and how they can work together in digital transformation. And then next, uh, later in the show, we will have our first guest, guest who is Blythe Broomleaf uh, from the Everything Everything is Logistics podcast, and she's going to be on to talk about supply chain management trends here in 2024 and beyond as we look to the future of, of planning for 2024 and any internal initiatives happening in 2024. What are the things to be aware of? Um, how, what's sort of the state of the union of supply chain management where we're headed? That's what we'll talk about here with Blythe later in the show. And then last but not least, we'll get into a couple of video segments from our YouTube channel um, on two different topics. One is two truths and a lie. And the other is ERP software Mythbusters. So be sure to stick around for that uh, later in the show. But before we jump into those other segments, let's see what uh, questions you've got for us in the question jar, Kyler. Yeah, well, this week was actually um, interesting. And some of the questions I, I didn't pull to ask you because I don't think that we know the answer to them. Interesting. So what I'm going to do with, with those questions is I'm actually going to post them here in the stream um, to kind of get some insight from our audience as well. So not to put Eric on the spot, but there was a lot of specific questions about international markets um, 
here. So I'm, I'm going to tap into our international audience. It's funny that you kind of queued it up that way, Eric, because um, I'm going to task them with, with answering those questions. But let's get kind of more into um, some general questions here. So this is a really good one. Um, this this is um, when you talked kind of about the difference between an upgrade with your legacy vendor and kind of the overall philosophy of needing to do a true evaluation when you're looking at moving from a legacy system or when your system's being sunset and that kind of messaging around that. So this user asked, can you talk about the migration toolkit that these vendor sales teams keep trying to push on us? It makes it sound like it's just an upgrade instead of a new implementation. Great question. And it depends on which vendor you're talking about, of course. But for a lot of the vendors uh, that are moving from an on-premise legacy system to cloud, um, it's it's much more than just a, an upgrade. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, some of these tools that they talk about, some of these migration tools or these upgrade tools are overstated and oversold. And, and, you know, vendors do have a way, you know, they have sort of a history of, of overselling some of these tool sets. Like, for example, they, they talk a lot about uh, industry best practices and pre-configurations and industry accelerators or implementation acceleration tools. And not to say that there's not repeatable processes and um, small scale tool sets that can be used to, to make implementations possible and in some cases easier, but generally speaking, it's overstated in terms of the value that they bring to the table. And more often than not, you you said the words exactly how I'd say them, Kyler, which is that um, these upgrades are typically more re-implementations or implementations of new technology. So for example, if you're going from Microsoft Dynamics AX to Microsoft Dynamics 365, which is in the cloud, that is a re-implementation. If you're going from SAP ECC to S4HANA, or if you're going from you know Oracle uh, e-business suite to Fusion ERP cloud. Those are all re-implementations. Maybe not quite as difficult as if you're implementing an entirely new uh, stack from a new vendor, but still it's not the same technology. You're, you're moving from on-prem to cloud and that's just a, a, a very uh, difficult process. And hopefully all your, your whatever vendor system integrator you're working with does have some sorts of tools and capabilities to help you with that, but it's not something that's going to make it easy per se. Yeah, gotcha. Definitely something that you can learn more about on um, Eric or Third Stage YouTube channel too. Um, and I encourage you to look at your specific system because he does a lot of those overall overviews or reviews or anything like that. So if you're looking for some more information or some more specific information on the upgrade versus uh, the actual re-implementation, which Eric just mentioned that is, um, highly recommend those resources. So definitely great question. Um, and this one is specifically about SAP. So a lot of your videos around SAP reviews or why SAP implementations fail, kind of the epidemic around SAP and the and the the failures that's come with SAP S4 HANA specifically. So um, this one's really interesting. If a company has a digitization project that is not delivering value in small or constant steps, this project is not about business digitization. Some SAP, some SAP projects are like, quote, company open heart surgery, or worse, they require months of activity and cost before delivering any value. How do you balance keeping this motivation when you have the anxiety around ROI and growth? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, 
and it's an intuitive question because that you're sort of hitting the heart of the challenge of ERP software in general. Um, and if you back up for a second, just think about what an ERP implementation is. An ERP implementation is affecting your entire business. And so the open heart surgery metaphor analogy is, is super relevant because, you know, think about all the things you do as a business, you know, you're manufacturing something, you're shipping something, you're invoicing customers for something, you're, you know, managing people, you're doing all this stuff. And your ERP systems are typically what manage that entire end to end set of business processes. And if you try to rip those out, the old technologies and put in new technology, new processes all at once, obviously, that's a very high risk proposition. Now, there's ways around that you can obviously not do a big bang approach and do more of a phased approach, more incremental. And that's what this person is is alluding to here. And that's typically what most of our clients do too. is, is they take more of an incremental approach, but you're still exposing a lot of risk to the system because you've got this established system, whether it's for better or for worse, I'm not saying your current as current as is status quo is relevant. It's probably not because otherwise you wouldn't be interested in content about like this podcast about how to go through a digital transformation. But um, it, it's very difficult to, uh, it's very risky to introduce new systems and processes within the system, even if it's an improvement to the system. So you just have to be aware of it. And I think the key is really the, the risk mitigation is important. The, the proper project planning is important. And you have to um, resist that temptation to hear what you want to hear. And back to the previous question about um, the implementation tools and the upgrade tools that vendors provide, that they're selling you a vision and a comfort. That's what they're really selling you. They're trying to get you comfortable with the risk that you're about to undertake. And you don't want to get too comfortable. And I think that's what happens to organizations. They get too comfortable and that's why they end up making these decisions that expose their organizations to a lot of risk and in some cases makes it even worse. So you have to take up with a lot of grain of salt what you hear from the software vendors and that sort of perfect world utopia vision that you're being sold. You want to back up a little bit and look at the reality of the open heart surgery you're about to go through. Um, obviously, you hope to come out better on the other side, but there is a lot of risk you have to go through along the way. And there's certain things you, you should and shouldn't do uh, to make sure you're you're optimizing that risk along the way, too. Absolutely. Definitely a great analogy. Um, I love the open heart surgery because, you know, technology is truly the heartbeat of the organization. And not to mention when you do open heart surgery, all of the different kind of core team you need involved with that, the anesthesiologist, all all the different pieces, the prep that you need to go through. So that's a very intuitive um, analogy uh, for sure. And I, I know we've had, I just want to acknowledge, we've had a ton of questions from our student audience about going into supply chain and logistics. So I'm actually going to save that question for when you and Blythe talk about that. So definitely stay tuned for that conversation if you did ask some of those questions. But just a reminder, if you do have questions for Eric or the third stage team, you can actually post them any um, anywhere on our social media channels and we, we pull and collect them. If you tag me or third stage or Eric directly, we'll pull them for ground control um, and make sure that we address them each week here. So definitely some great questions. And I know we have some very relevant hot topics to get to um, as well here. Yeah, absolutely. Great questions. And thank you to the audience the members that continue to pepper us with questions along the way that makes for very good content, makes it easy for us to plan the content for for this show. So thank you for that. Um, we're also going to get into some hot topics, as, as Kyler mentioned here in just a moment. We're going to talk about the cyber attack in Las Vegas that just happened earlier this month. We'll talk about how CIOs and CMOs can work together in digital transformation. And then later in the show, after the hot topic segment here in a moment, We'll have Blythe Broomleaf on the show to talk about supply chain management trends in 2024 and beyond. 
if you missed uh, her on our podcast before, she was on sometime late last year on this podcast for the first time. And we did sort of an overview of supply chain management, sort of an intro to supply chain management. She's a very good guest, very smart. She has a good way of bringing um, some complex topics down to earth and simplifying it for us. So really excited to talk about sort of the state of the union of where supply chain management is today and where it's headed in 2024 and beyond. And then later in the show, after Blythe is on, we'll talk about uh, ERP software Mythbusters and Two Truths and a Lie as well. So be sure to stick around for that. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with some of these hot topics here in just a moment. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high-growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 139. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm your host here today with Kyler Cheatham. And you can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on transformationgroundcontrol.com, as well as audio podcast platforms and YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter as well, where we stream new episodes every Wednesday to those video platforms. So be sure to check us out and subscribe if you don't already. Uh, so you've got a couple hot topics here uh, for us, Kyler. What What's on your mind? Well, we definitely have to talk about Vegas. But before we we talk about what that looks like um, and all of the, the kind of the trending topics around that cyber attack, I want to talk a little bit about um, how the CMO and CIO can work together on digital transformations. Now, CMO, which is typically chief marketing officer, doesn't typically have a, a huge following when it comes to digital transformation. So I think it's interesting to talk through this. And it's not just the the CMO, but this kind of study showcases uh, how all C-suite individuals can kind of work together. So I want to get your feedback on that. Um, so what they're saying in this study is we talk about vision, digital transformation vision, and obviously the alignment needed specifically on the C-suite or the executive level around those goals and objectives of the project. Um, and then they they talk about digital roadmap, um, success met, net metrics, again, that should be aligned around that. But the one I really want to ask you about is data. Um, so they, they talk about the importance and the implement, implementations of customer data on the sales and customer experience and how that's often left behind. Uh, the CIO might look at things that are internal that talk about uh, personal identification informations or or um, ways in which operations and efficiencies can be uh, streamlined throughout the organization, but sometimes don't always dive into the front end customer data as um, they essentially should when looking at what is a digital transformation holistically throughout an organization. So wanted to get kind of your um, feedback on not only looking that data, but but actually tasking the CMO to run that part of the digital transformation project. Yeah, I think it's, well, first of all, I, I like the idea because it's 
focused on getting a business leader involved you know, with their part of the business rather than assuming that the CIO is just going to handle the needs of a CMO or any other business leader. Um, that, that part makes a lot of sense. And I think it also, you know, underscores the importance of making sure that we consider potential revenue growth and lead generation and, and marketing activities and sort of that front end revenue generating side of things. A lot of times when we talk about technology, we're so focused on reducing cost and creating standard processes operationally and stuff like that. That's important. It's not unimportant, but we tend to forget sometimes, you know, on the, on the marketing side, sometimes the CRM or sales side gets overlooked as well because we're so focused on operational efficiencies. So it's a, it's just a good reminder that we need to look at the total package or the total potential ROI of technology, not just on cost reduction, but also on revenue yeah. enhancement as well. So I think that's a great way for a CMO to add value in that, in that discussion. Absolutely. And just, you know, that overall core alignment that's that's needed. And I, I love what you had said about the ownership of each business leader and understanding that they have a critical role to play when it comes to a new digital transformation, enterprise operation, new AI, um, anything when it comes to new technology in the business. So definitely some great insight. Um, so transitioning to that, um, apparently what happens in Vegas does not always stay in Vegas, um, yeah, that, we, right. that we've uh, seen through kind of these cyber attacks. So if you're, you're not familiar, what's happened um, is a variety of different entities um, have gone through paralyzing cyber attacks um, in Vegas. And so the one we're actually going to look at today is one of the biggest ones, which is MGM. And just to give you an idea from the metrics, they are losing about $8.4 million a day because of slot machines or gambling machines that are set, uh, shut down. And then also hotels um, that can't operate in the way that they typically operate uh, in Las Vegas. So just giving you kind of a, a holistic idea, um, the, the company MGM actually generates uh, $42 million in revenue and $8 million in cash flow daily. So you're basically taking all of the cash flow and losing that when it looks at the cost that this implement, this cyber attack is, um, is actually having on the casino chain. So how did this basically happen? It's a hacking group that they used ransomware in attacking the MGM resorts, which was forced to shut down its entire computer system, thus disabling things like hotel room pass cards, booking systems, machines um, on the MGM guests, um, those all of those different pieces that you think of as all of the uh, technology that's attached to a casino type of resort. So this actually happened to Caesars that agreed to pay the 15 million in ransom to the suspected hackers, enabling the system to go back online. So there's a few different avenues that I wanna ask you about um, when it comes to this situation. And the first is how this essentially happens. So this happened in both scenarios through an IT help desk and looking at things like two-factor authentication, which we've talked before in cybersecurity areas of weakness. So basically, you bigger companies, you call the help desk and you say, hey, I need to be able to get into this. I'm locked out. Can you help me? 
And either the help desk is an internal entity or an external IT department. So in knowing that it's as, as easy, quote unquote, obviously you have to remember that these hackers are professional hackers and they know exactly what questions to ask and exactly what to say. But that can be the frontline's IT help desk seems to be an area of weakness through these cyber attacks that are really leveraged by these hackers. So what are some things organizations need to consider when either using an internal or external help desk and understanding the risks in cyber attacks in that specific entity and area of the business? Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. I didn't know any of that, by the way. I knew about the the cyber attack itself and the sort of the net effect of it, but I didn't know sort of what, what led to it or who's responsible uh, for it. But I think, you know, having the the internal, uh, whether it's internal or external help desk and, and, and training them up on, on the importance of cybersecurity and, um, you know, not having, I guess, just to back up for a second, cybersecurity is something that should be top of mind for everyone, whether you're in a help desk internally or externally or not, uh, whether you're in IT or not, or whether you're just a business user uh, within the organization, you just have to be aware of it because it is such a big deal, whether it's hackers trying to hack into a system, whether it's, um, you know, phishing scams or attempted phishing scams from the outside, whether it's misappropri misappropriation of data from employees, either intentionally or unintentionally, there's all these different risks that cybersecurity encompasses. And so I think making people aware of it is first and foremost, and then also, um, you know, having the right policies and processes in place to where um, you can mitigate that risk and make sure that people are educated and trained and aware of this stuff. And really, you just have to create a culture in an organization that's mindful of it and a little bit paranoid of it. Uh, I think it's okay to be paranoid of it uh, to some degree and, and make sure you've, you've got that focus. So um, that that's my general reaction to it is, you know, I, I'm not sure what they did or didn't do from a cybersecurity perspective, but I would imagine a big casino like that, especially with all the like the online betting that they do now with MGM and all that stuff. And there's just a lot of a lot of third party outside systems that are touching their core systems, I presume, and a lot of risk there that goes along with that. So obviously they didn't do enough. So if a big organization like MGM Grand with the kind of resources that they presumably have at their disposal, it kind of maybe underscores the fact that if you're a mom and pop IT shop, you know, you've got even more risk potential, even if you're not as big of a target as, as MGM. And so when we talk about looking at that scenario within an organization, in this situation, what they did is they shut down everything and went to manual processes. Obviously, that's not a great customer experience or employee experience. But when you go through a situation in which you feel like your system is at risk, should they have scenarioed this out um, and looked at what might be an option for a backup system? Or what's your recommendation when looking at a cybersecurity strategy that you understand when we are under attack, what do we do? Yeah, great question. Great point. And yes, I would agree with, um, you know, sort of the scenario role playing of plan B, you know, what happens when, if or when a cybersecurity attack happens and the same mentality applies to like if you're going through a technology transformation or you're you're implementing some wholesale massive process improvements to your organization you're going to have a plan b what happens if that process breaks or that system breaks down or our go live is a failure what what do we revert back to and it's the same thing with cybersecurity especially in a a cash based business or a you know there's so many manual processes that can resume or continue in a case of a casino, I'm not a casino expert by any means. I've just, I've been to it a couple, I've been to a casino a few times. That's all, that's about as much expertise as I can bring to the table here. But 
um, you know, you do, if you go to a casino, you know that there's, you could still play blackjack. You can still, money can still change hands. It's just a matter of what do you do on the back end to, to track that information, track that data that you normally have in a system. Um, you know, something like the reward cards that people use, you know, the, the, the high rollers that have their MGM cards and they want to get the points or whatever that goes away, presumably if your systems are down, but what do you do to track that information so that your customers will get credit for, uh, their gambling spending or whatever, um, in your casino going forward. So it's a, it's a lot like go live. You've got a plan for sort of a, you know, well-documented processes you can execute on if you have to, uh, if the systems go down or if there is a cybersecurity attack. And last question for you, Eric, which is a tough one. Do you pay these hackers like so many businesses that we've seen have done? I mean, they're, they're in these situations where they literally cannot go through any operation. So when we look at a case study like Caesars that just gave them $15 million to turn their systems back in, obviously, I'm sure they are trying to do due diligence on the back end after that. But if a client came to you in that situation, obviously there's going to be a lot of it depends in there. But is that something that you you would recommend doing, or kind of what's what's the status with the state around paying um, hackers around ransomware? Well, if you depersonalize it a bit and just look at um, you know the cost of doing business, I mean, if you can't, if it's determined that you cannot get control of your systems on your own with your own help desk or IT support organization, and it's just not going to happen without paying a certain amount of money to outside hackers, you may not want to do it, but it may be your only choice. I mean, that's certainly $15 million is a lot of money, but that's a lot cheaper than trying to re-implement all new systems and, you know, kind of ripping out or just abandoning what they have. So it's not at all ideal, but it may be, you know, if you look at it from an ROI perspective, it may be that, that that's got a better ROI than, than trying to do something else. Yeah. What a time to be alive. Well, um, definitely uh, yes. rec recommend um, some of our cybersecurity videos. Specifically, if it were me, I always like to give you guys um, an idea of follow through if you're really interested in this conversation. On our YouTube channel, we have um, Chad Baker from one of our Stratosphere events. He'll actually be at our 2023 Stratosphere event as well. Um, he's a cybersecurity expert. And he's not only done blogs for us, but also he's done um, a lot on our YouTube channel. So if you go kind of watch his content or type in cybersecurity in the search on either our website or our YouTube channel, you can get a lot of information around what that looks like because it it is something that unfortunately um, has to be a main strategy, as Eric mentioned, in any sort of enterprise tech. And you really have to go through arming and reskilling your workforce, especially frontline IT professionals that might not really understand that. Or even, um, you know, when you have like a front desk or something like that and you get these calls and they may seem, you know, very, very harmless, but it's the way in which they get into your business and you're, you, you're losing $8.5 million a day. Um, so, so it's definitely something that's very relevant um, and, and um, needs to be considered when looking at digital strategy and just overall understanding of that. So thank you for your insight on that, Eric. It, it truly is extremely valuable. Yeah, and it's, a, and it's such an emerging topic, too, and becoming increasingly important. So a good, good reminder for all of us, too, how important uh, cybersecurity is. Um, well, good. Well, uh, thank you for those great hot topics and discussion points there. Those, those are uh, very relevant in today's day and age. And uh, speaking of relevant topics, we're going to have another topic we're going to dive into, shifting gears a bit and getting into supply chain management trends in 2024 and beyond. We're going to have Blythe Broomleave on the show here in just a moment to talk about that. 
And then later in the show, after Blythe is on, we will also talk about ERP software, Mythbusters, as well as Two Truths and a Lie. So be sure to stick around for that later in the show. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. I'm Kyler Cheatham from Third Stage Consulting Group, and I wanted to take a minute to personally invite you to our Stratosphere 2023 in-person event on October 4th through 6th in Denver, Colorado. We are super pumped to bring this event back in person after COVID. It will actually be the first time in three years that we've done an in-person Stratosphere, and we're so excited to bring you top thought leadership and tactical project strategies throughout this important event. We'll not only feature keynotes from top speakers in the industry, but also interactive workshops where you can pick your area of expertise that you want to get information on regarding your digital transformation project. You can head to stratosphere2023.com to see our full agenda and our jam-packed excitement for the event. We also are offering a VIP ticket this year, which gives you full access to Eric as well as a signed copy of his new book. So I hope to see you there and meet you in person in Denver. If you have any questions, again, you can reach out to me directly at kyler.cheatham at thirdstage-consulting.com and I'll see you in Denver. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 139. My name is Eric Kibberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. You can also go to transformationgroundcontrol.com to see uh, all the different places you can listen and watch. And you can also go back and see past episodes at transformationgroundcontrol.com as well. So I'm excited for our next guest, someone who's been on the show in the past one other time, but it's been a while. It's been about a year. It was about this time last year, I believe, that she was on the show uh, to talk about an intro to supply chain management back then. But today, we're not going to talk about an intro to supply chain management. We're going to talk about trends for 2024 and beyond as it relates to supply chain management. So joining us here today is Blythe Broomleave, who's the podcast host or the host of the Everything is Logistics podcast, as well as uh, other business ventures that she's involved with as well. So Blythe, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Excited to have you. This is your second time on the show. I know last time you were on, which is about a year ago, I think it was probably about this time last year. Uh, we had a, a really great discussion. We got into a lot of supply chain stuff, and I thought it would just be a great time for us to have sort of a, a checkpoint here. We're late in 2023. Thought it'd be a great opportunity for us to check in and see where things stand in the world of supply chain management, where you see the world headed with supply chain management in 2024 and beyond, and all this other good stuff related to trends and just what's happening in the space. But before we get into those questions, tell us a little bit about yourself and your different companies that you you manage. Sure. So I am the host of a podcast called Everything is Logistics. So uh, as you can tell, uh, it covers logistics and supply chain and transportation, mostly focused on the U.S. market. Now we do cover, you know, international topics as well, of course. Um, but I started off in the freight industry here in the U.S. in Jacksonville, Florida, working as an executive assistant at a 3PL, which is a third party logistics company, um, basically uh, working side by side with the executive team, learning how, you know, you know, a, a transportation company operates. 
Um, and so because of that experience there, uh, I was given the role of marketing and uh, digital media manager. And so I started managing all of the websites and uh, marketing materials for that company. And that was sort of my trial by fire into the world of logistics. And uh, that since has evolved into my own company, where the company that I worked for before became my very first customer. Um, that, that company is Digital Dispatch. It's website management solutions for the logistics industry. So um, brokers, carriers, uh, shippers, vendors, people like that, anybody who um, essentially small to medium-sized businesses um, who need those kinds of services. Um, but the podcast is really my main focus. That's where I get to have these awesome conversations with people from all over the world, all over um, different sectors and modes of transportation. So I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about you know the, the fascinating world of supply chain because it really is, uh, we were talking just before we got on air, that there's so much to learn within the world of supply supply chain from a historical perspective to, you know, just recent, you know, history um, and even where we think, you know, geopolitical struggles um, alignments are going to evolve in the near future. It's always evolving. It's always changing. And I think that's why I love this industry so much. Yeah. We were also talking about how it it's likely or it's possible that neither one of us or anyone in the field will ever fully learn and master all <laughs> there is to master about supply chain management because it does change so fast. So that's right. Exactly. I wish. <laughs> I wish I could learn it all. <laughs> right. Right. So how would you so you started to touch on this a little bit then and maybe just to set the stage for the conversation here today. How would you how would you summarize how the supply chain field has unfolded in 2023 so far? If we sort of look at just the year in review sort of thing, I know it's a little early for that, but, you know, just we're three quarters of the way through what, you, what what's unfolded here. What are the big trends you've seen? So we're really coming off the downturn of the the COVID economy, and so spe specifically here in in the United States, there was a lot of stimulus uh, impact. There are a lot of checks that went out to the population um, within U the U.S. A lot of residents were basically locked inside and couldn't go anywhere and couldn't do anything. So what did they do? They spent their money on consumer goods, and so that had a massive ripple effect throughout the entire global economy, uh, global supply chain. Um, we were we couldn't import fast enough all of the goods that uh, U.S. residents were buying, um, mainly because they were bored at home. And so now we're starting to see, you know, a little bit of that pendulum shift back to where consumers are spending a, a good amount of their money on all of these consumer goods. That pendulum switched back over the last year or so into experiences. People were traveling more and, and doing more experiences. Uh, but now that pendulum has kind of swung back towards the middle where consumer debt has increased. I think it just crossed, you know, $1 trillion here in the United States. So consumers are pulling back on their spending, rightfully so. And so what we're seeing is more of a settling in to what this new post-COVID -eco post economy sort of looks like in the United States. We're, we're going back to sort of 2018, 2019 levels of purchasing. Um, we're starting to see a bunch of, in, especially over the last year, a lot of retailers were dealing with uh, surplus inventory issues. Now those have since uh, balanced out a little bit. And so now we're coming up into the holiday season and it's really a wait and see game with a lot of what the consumers want to do and the retailers are going to essentially react to what the consumers want. So they're mm. not, they don't have these massive, you know, warehouse space filled with inventories. I mean, even last year, last Christmas season, 
we were still selling goods that were on container ships that were stuck out of the port of Long Beach and LA that were stuck on those ships for eight, nine months. And so a lot of those Halloween decorations, those Christmas decorations that were stuck out on the boats in 2021, that inventory was sold off in 2022. And so this has really been the first holiday season where we're going to find out where the true economy is at from a U.S. perspective and then how the rest of the world um, is going to react as far as spending as well. I, I think there's a, a greater fear of uh, recessionary conditions across the entire globe. And so it's kind of a wait and see approach, both on the consumer side and on the retailer side. And that that really is what drives um, a lot of shipments, um, I guess, separate from, you know, some of the more materials, um, dry bulk, um, natural gas, uh, crude oil, things like that. Those shipments are treated very separately from consumer spending. And so that's a whole different market. I don't really have the expertise on, you know, dry bulk goods and, you know, crude oil and things like that. Uh, but I do know that some ge uh, geopolitical tensions are, are affecting those shipments as well. Um, but here stateside, it, it really is all about the consumer and retailers just waiting and see. Hmm. Interesting. So are retailers in general and, and is the supply chain in general struggling less with excess inventory and sort of that lumpiness of the supply chain that we've had in, in recent years? Yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely, uh, so they have the, re a lot of the major retailers, so the Walmarts, the Targets, um, Costco's even of the world, they have that warehouse space now secured. And so they're essentially what they're doing is they're just waiting to see what the consumer is going to do. I, I, I mentioned earlier about the consumer debt that, that has been increasing. What is another factor that will really impact consumer spending is student loan repayments. Um, for those, you know, who are, who are viewing internationally, U.S. has a very, um, I guess, a big issue with you know student loan payments for their college degrees for their college education um, those payments were put on hold since covid and now with that delay um, being removed you're going to have an extra added expense and so things are getting much more expensive for the u.s consumer much more than the, you know traditionally have been and so you have all of these additional bills that are coming down the pipeline so we, we kind of expect to have a, a, a consumers are going to spend a little bit less this holiday season, but we just don't know yet because we don't know if they're continue or going to continue to rack up credit card debt, um, but less likely so because of all of those external factors that are now going to be playing a role um, as far as consumer spending is concerned. And then you have on the on the carrier and the broker side of things, which is the trucking companies and the the companies that are trying to arrange the shipments from the customers to the the people who are actually making the goods, um, the manufacturers. So you have those uh, added components of they're also dealing with an enormous amount of fraud that's going on. And so anytime you see, you know, consumer, it's kind of interesting, you know, from a global perspective, when you see the rise in consumer debt, um, people not having access to a lot of excess funds to be able to go and shop then you have a rise in crime, especially cargo crime related activities um, that are also affecting a lot of brokers, a lot of carriers, and it's becoming uh, the cost of doing business is becoming very, very expensive. And so you have all of these factors sort of colliding in at once, but the economy is still, especially the US-based economy is still doing relatively okay. There are some uh, media companies, FreightWaves um, in particular, they have their sonar platform, um, which predicts and, and analyzes, you know, tender inbound rejection shipments, things like that. They analyze all of that data 
And they kind of predict that by Q2 of 2024, that we're essentially going to be out of any kind of recession. Um, there are some experts that think that we're going to be done with any kind of uh, recession fears by the summer, but spring to summertime is looking like when, you know, we're going to kind of be back to those pre-pandemic levels and the recession concerns are going to be over. So hopefully that leads to consumer confidence increasing and then retailers confidence increasing. And then, you know, that has a ripple effect throughout all of shipping, whether it's the big cargo ships that you see out in the ocean, or if it's the down to the trucks, um, to the Amazon delivery packages that you're getting on your doorstep, all of that has a ripple effect. Right. Right. That's super interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting prediction for, for next year. And when, mm -hmm. when things might start to settle down a, a bit there. Um, so that's that's super interesting. So what other trends do you see developing then for 2024 and beyond? You talked about, you know, what what people are predicting for Q2 and into the summer of next year. What other sort of big trends or uh, predictions do you have for the supply chain management in the next year? Well, I think I mean, we made it a whole 12 minutes without mentioning AI. Um, so <laughs> AI uh, is just dominating, I think, every part of the conversation um, in every industry, especially when it comes to the logistics industry and just global transportation as a whole uh, there. So to put things in perspective for the audience there, the supply chain industry as a whole has been really slow to adopt new technology. Um, they made major investments in the 90s, in the mid-90s, early 2000s into what's called these massive transportation management software, warehouse management software, uh, fleet management software. They made all of those investments in the 90s. And what happens is with a lot of those different platforms, they're big all-in-one platforms designed to handle everything. Um, all of your data from accounting to tracking loads to getting your products from point A to B, um, rate negotiations all of those things were happening in one platform. Now you can imagine that that is so much data. It is so much um, to filter through. And so for a lot of the smarter companies um, here in the freight space, a lot of them have started to implement um, different machine learning technologies. They're implementing those into their already established tech stacks. Now what we're seeing, especially that started this year, is that some of those systems that were developed in the late 90s, the early 2000s, they're becoming a little clunky. They're becoming a little, um, I guess, uh, abrasive to uh, further integrations, um, outside integrations with different other technology providers. Some of them are doing a good job of incorporating those different technologies into those massive tech stacks. But it's really started to happen over the last year where you're starting to get these sm not small players, but these niche players who focus on one thing, um, driver tracking, um, truck parking, um, you know, maritime shipping, you know, the 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 amount of time that you're waiting off of the coast in order to, you know, get, get your call into the, the port in order to be unloaded, um, measuring gas and measuring fuel, not gas, fuel, truckers will kill me if I say gas, measuring <laughs> fuel, if, uh, you know, from point A to B, how much uh, speed you should be doing on the highway, how much of your speed you should be doing on the ocean, all of these different niche technology players are now starting to come into the fold and they're starting to be integrated into these bigger systems. And so I think a major trend for 2024 is going to be the further adoption of AI, trying to filter through all of those different data points to help save their customers money, um, to help save themselves, um, the, the, the logistics providers, um, help them save some money anywhere they can. Because just to give you a perspective, 
any good that you have, any kind of goods that you have in your house, um, building materials, things like that, up to 50% of that product's goods are transportation related costs. So any small savings that you can make on any part of the transportation process has a massive ripple effect. And so I think that we're going to see more AI adoption. Um, we're going to see more machine learning and we're going to see more of these niche players and hopefully break down some of these technological silos that exist within all throughout supply chain where you don't have just intermodal out on an island by themselves. You don't have maritime out on an island by themselves. You don't have trucking or you know even uh, the variety of different trucks that are being used. You don't have all of these different silos they can play together and integrate much more. And I think we're going to see much more of that, not just in 2024, but in 2023 as well. These are when companies are starting to make those investments and make their budgets as right now. That's super interesting. We're here with Blythe Brumley talking about supply chain management trends in 2024 and beyond. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Just tell me what you've If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 139. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can also go to YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, where it streams every week, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. But the easiest way is just to go to transformationgroundcontrol.com, and you can find all the platforms that we're on there. So be sure to check out some of the past episodes you may have missed as well. We're here in the midst of a conversation with... Blythe Brimley talking about supply chain management trends in 2024 and beyond. Let's jump back into the conversation. And here's a, a follow-up question I'm going to get to. You. I'll, I'll put it on the screen. I'll read it in a moment. Before I do, though, um, just one quick note for those of you that are watching on LinkedIn. Apparently, there's a problem with the LinkedIn chat feature. If you're on the uh, if you're on the desktop, I don't think the chat is working, or at least we're not seeing them here. So if you you can either go to the mobile uh, LinkedIn interface or you can go to YouTube if you want to ask questions. So I'm not ignoring you. If you're trying to ask a question on LinkedIn, just try the mobile app on LinkedIn or YouTube. Um, if you, if you want to engage with us here, but, um, thank you for all the questions that are coming in so far. Uh, this one's from YouTube, uh, from Andreas on YouTube. And you sort of answered this, but I'm curious to maybe dive into this a little bit more, but is AI just a buzzword or do you already see real life use cases that are, that really get used? You, you sort of rattle off a bunch of ways AI could help, um, supply chain managers and supply chains in general. How often are you actually seeing those use cases or how much is it emerging, would you say now? And what do you expect to see in the future? 
I, I, I do not think it's just a buzzword. I think it's going to be absolutely crucial, not just to at the, the top company line level, but down to the workers that are in the trenches. Um, the, AI can really help a lot of those different processes and decision making that is going on from the top down to the bottom. Um, we're seeing massive adoption happening from the accounting perspective. We're also seeing it from the sales and marketing perspective. I think that that's where the bigger use cases are right now. There are other transportation companies I'll, I'll use one for example, um, that they are taking the weather data that's available to you know anyone in the United States or really anyone globally. You can take that weather data and overlay it on top of the shipments that you already have within your system. And now mm -hmm. the brokers who are sitting at the phones and they're calling the truck drivers, they're calling their customers, they're trying to get these shipments moved from point A to B, they can now see those weather patterns days in advance so they can plan their equipment around that. Um, so say like a major hurricane is going to be coming through, um, say the southeastern part of the United States, you likely do not want your shipments or your trucks or your equipment in those areas that are going to be heavily impacted unless you're going to be staging them for recovery relief. Um, so there's lots of different use cases of how AI, where you could take that broker, that person that's sitting at the phone making those decisions is now able to take big pieces of that decision-making process and use AI as a filter on top of those decision-making uh, really high impact, uh, revenue impacting decisions they're using these different tools and these different ways to sort through it, massive amounts of data. And that's really what AI is, is taking all of your data and making it actionable. And I think that that's where, you know, a lot of folks, when they hear maybe is, you know, AI a buzzword or maybe is AI just a fad? AI has been around for a while, but the, in the sense of what we were talking about with AI today, it's essentially taking large data sets the large data sets of, of things already within your organization and then figuring out how you can use intelligence and your employees to use that data to make decisions faster. So it's one of those things that is going to make the entire role evolve where you're using AI as almost like a co-pilot uh, in your day-to-day -day work. So it's not just uh, a platform you're going to go to like AI.com and, you know, it ha buy the tool and then implement it into your systems. It's going to be a core part of every part of your job to help you make decisions faster. Um, so I think from a, that perspective, we are only scratching the surface when it comes to transportation data, because when you think of transportation data and just global logistics supply chain, it really tells the story of consumer behavior all over the globe, what people are purchasing, what people are buying buying tells us about what their future investments are going to be. And mm. as, we simply just can't sort through all of that data by ourselves. We do need the help from these other technology players um, in order to make those decisions faster. But it also matters if you have good data, because if you got if you have bad data, you're not going to be able to make those decisions that are going to help your customers get their products delivered from source to porch much more quickly and much more efficiently, um, which is what every customer, every manufacturer wants in the world is they want cheaper transportation costs. And that's really going to be the only way to increase productivity um, from a, a logistics provider perspective. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. It's almost like there's a uh, like an integration or a. a uh, coming together of different types of technology here. You've got hope you know, so. <laughs> AI, internet of things. I mean, predictive analytics, just data management, 
all this stuff that's sort of been buzzing around in the background for a while now. It seems like it's sort of a perfect storm of opportunity now with technology with all these different um, emerging techs, especially with AI. AI is sort of like the capstone that sort of takes all that other stuff and now makes it possible to make smarter decisions and not just have the data, but now figure out what you're going to do with it and make better decisions. Absolutely. Now, kind of along those lines, um, this is from Kyler on LinkedIn, along those lines of how technology will improve uh, supply chains and affect supply chain management going forward. Um, her question is, how are artificial intelligence technologies being applied to optimize supply chain and logistics operations? And what benefits do they um, offer? You know what? I'm so sorry. That is not the question I meant to ask. That is a good question. I'm going to come back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, Blythe. I just told <laughs> no worries. you the 180 here. <laughs> the one I meant to ask that was related to the last one was also from Kyler. Um, but this is, um, can you talk more about the need for best of breed solutions in supply chain management? Sound like niche options have great potential, but how to influence the core ERP solution? So you, you talk about AI and you talk about these different technologies that are becoming more mainstream and more of an opportunity to help improve supply chain management. What does that mean in terms of like your back office ERP systems and or your traditional supply chain management systems? Are these going to be sort of standalone systems or technologies that you're talking about? Or do you think it eventually gets embedded within ERP and supply chain management solutions themselves? There are definitely some players that are going to be integrated into some of these ERP solutions. Now, it remains to be seen because there are also there, there's a an underlying current that has happened within the I would say the past five years where what's called these digital freight brokerages, um, which is might be a little in the weeds for you know supply chain management nerds out there that I am one too, so I use that term affectionately. Now they have tried to implement technology into a system that is mostly relationship based. So for a lot of folks, if if you don't, um, I I guess, maybe understand the, I guess, the intricacies of the US freight market, the US freight market is, and I imagine this works all over the globe because relationships matter. And so for a lot of these folks, they have a direct relationship with the customer that's arranging the shipments. Now, these customers have had a whirlwind of three years of nobody even knowing what a supply chain manager role was. They were not invited into the C-suite. They were not invited into budget planning or things like that. And they and they should have been. You know, supply chain managers should have had a seat at the table because transportation costs affect the product and good costs so much, up to 50%, like I just said. And so for a lot of these companies, they have avoided that, um, that issue and that role of a supply chain manager. Now the supply chain manager at a lot of companies has a seat at the C-suite table. They're in the weekly meetings and they're talking about the increased role and their increased productivity or trying to get to an increased productivity um, within their role. But they're also, these are people who are handling tons and tons of brokers and shipments and relationships. And they really just are frankly tired. They're it's essentially, you know, one very small teams, one to five people that are in charge of supply chain for global companies. So they're overworked, but they also want to focus on their go-to relationships. So supply chain is very much and always will be a very people first business, but they are getting pressure from the top, from their investors, um, from partner companies that they need 
need to start making these tech these tech investments. And so that's where the tech investments are almost being pushed off to this, not the smaller players, but the people lower in. So you have the supply chain manager, you have the logistics service providers, you have your warehouse operators, you have your procurement directors, you have all of these people that are now responsible for all of these different factors. And so you have to think about it from the lens of, what technology is going to help that supply, that small supply team, supply chain manager team be able to work more effectively, be able to be more productive. And a lot of those folks are scared to make those large tech investments right now because of the fact that a lot of these folk, a lot of these companies have focused on the digital side of things, the digital movement of goods. They've kind of forgot a little bit about mm. the relationship aspect that you have to build between customer and broker and shipper and driver. All of these relationships matter. And so for a lot of these, you know, digital freight brokerages, for example, a lot of them focused on we're going to remove the person, we're going to remove the truck driver, we're going to remove these people that uh, from the decision making process and just digitally match, you know, a customer to a truck. What's been lost over the last five years and what companies are starting to realize is that you need both. You need the tech advancement, you need the tech integrations, but you also cannot remove the human from the equation. And so it's it, there's a lot of companies that are struggling right now on how do we make tech investments without removing the human because we've already been burned over the last five years for making these large tech investments and that hasn't resulted in ROI. So now mm -hmm. it's it, the pendulum. We kind of talked you know earlier about the pendulum swinging. Pendulum is swinging back to the folks who focus on relationships and that they can build out customized transportation, uh, really uh, transportation, I would say solutions for these different customers based on their specific needs. And that's where technology can come into play to help develop those custom solutions where the person and the people are still at the, at the forefront of making those business decisions. So then that way, the people who are working in the trenches who are often forgotten about those are the people that are actually using the software. Those are the people that are actually using these different tech integrations and trying to find where else they can make those slight improvements from not having to make 40 calls a day, 100 calls a day um, in order to see where freight is. So now they're trying to figure out what, what does that balance look like? And so I think for a lot of companies, especially in supply chain, They've been burned a little bit in the past, and now they're trying to figure out, okay, where do we make the investments from a technology perspective that we can get these incremental improvements from a productivity perspective, and then still really focus on the people side of things, which I think has been largely forgotten, mostly because we've all been running around like chickens with our heads cut off over the last few years, and now things are starting to kind of settle into what we think is the new normal and that's where companies can now catch their breath. Supply chain managers can catch their breath and everybody that works underneath them could kind of have a way to say, okay, what did we learn? Where can we make these investments and where are we not going to waste a lot of time and energy? Because I, you know, I, I, I don't have to explain this to you. Like, you know, a lot of these companies, it's a senior VP that maybe makes a fly by night decision where that software sounds great. We're going to use it. And then they never talk to the people who actually use the software. They never talk to the people that it actually directly affects. And so I think that that's where it's almost like very much coming back to reality for a lot of these companies is that you probably overinvested in technology solutions that didn't have a huge ROI at the end of the day. And then now you have to reinvest back into AI. There's a new sort of tech thing that you got to learn, but 
incorporating AI into different functions of the product to increase productivity of, of your job will then help the people relationship side of things to help make decisions faster so they can focus on the things that they're, they're best at. And that's developing and further developing those relationships with their customers. Yeah. Yeah. That's super interesting. We're here with Blythe Bremleaf talking about supply chain management trends in 2024 and beyond. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. When fans are big, that should be small. Who can tell what magic spells we'll be doing? Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? Then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. You'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our thought leadership section. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 139. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can also go to YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, where it streams every week, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. But the easiest way is just to go to transformationgroundcontrol.com, and you can find all the platforms that we're on there. So be sure to check out some of the past episodes you may have missed as well. We're here in the midst of a conversation with Blythe Brimleaf talking about supply chain management trends in 2024 and beyond. Let's jump back into the conversation. And it's and it's an interesting perspective because you're talking about not only changing technologies or leveraging technology in a different way, but it's also a cultural and mindset shift. I would imagine to where it's 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 affecting you know us as all as humans in supply chain management. Um, how how are you seeing or are you seeing the frontline reaction to that? Like are, are you seeing like the average entry level or the, the frontline person that's doing a lot of the work in supply chain management? How do you see their jobs being affected or how are they adapting to this? Or, or do you know, or, or are you seeing enough of that frontline behavior? The smart ones are adopting it. Um, now there is obviously with any kind of new technology, there's a little bit of apprehension. I would say a lot of apprehension, depending on the segment that you ask. Um, truck drivers in particular are very apprehensive to new technology. They, they are arguably the, the, they are arguably, I would imagine, the the mode of transportation and, and logistics that are the most impacted by technology. They have autonomous trucks, you know, the promise of removing the driver, um, you know, sort of promise to them. And so it's become a career that they've almost had to fight back against technology coming more and more into the truck. Autonomous trucks probably doesn't look like it's going to be the uh a thing that's going to be a long-term solution, especially for long-haul freight. Um, th there's a lot of debate that's going on around that sector. But then from the trucker's perspective, they have ELD mandates, these electronic log devices that have been installed in every one of their trucks, um, monitoring you know, how far they're driving, their speed they're going, um, that basically outfitting a semi-truck um, with all of these electrical components um, that makes the job of driving a truck um, 
it, it's supposed to is for a lot of drivers that their sentiment is I can drive my truck better than this tool can tell me how to drive it. Mm -hmm. um, now there's even more technology that's starting to come in with uh, cameras that are inside the truck that are facing them. And you have to think about it from the lens of the driver that these, a lot of times these are their homes. They're, this is where they're sleeping and where they're undressing and where they're eating and where they're, you know, enjoying their off time in. Um, and so for a lot of drivers, they're very hesitant to adopt this new technology. Whereas the office workers, it's almost very much um, the same kind of apprehension to adopting technology because they see it as this is going to take my job. And we also see it in warehouse workers as well with the adoption of more robotics, um, you know, more ro automation coming into the warehouse. There are actual companies that have to train their employees to see the robot as a helper from a psychological perspective, they have to introduce this kind of training to say you have to see this robot as a helper, not something that's going to take your job. And so there's this psychological component with adopting more technology into the fields, um, into various different silos within the entire supply chain. Um, but then you have some of the people who are taking these tools. They are taking ChatGPT and Claude and, you know, I guess Bard to an extent, but Bard is kind of an afterthought, I think, for most folks who use, you know, these large language model type tools. Mm -hmm. um, what we're starting to see more, especially at the enterprise level for a lot of logistics companies, is that they are adopting their own personal element large language models um, to learn off of their own data sets for fears that their data could, you know, privacy concerns, things like that with using some of these open source models and some of these other, um, you know, Microsoft powered models, things like that. Um, so you kind of have a, a, an apprehension. I've seen it with a lot of marketers and sales folks as well, um, much less so on the sales side of things. It's much more on the marketing side of things. They really fear um, that their jobs are going to be taken the way I see it is that these jobs are evolving in that, you know, using these tools, you're going to be able to increase your productivity so much more, so much faster because you're able to sift through data so much more quickly. Everything is recorded. Conversations like this are recorded. Meetings are recorded. You can't possibly filter through all of that data and be able to learn something from it to turn it into something actionable. And so that's why I say the smart ones are starting to use these tools in every aspect of their work, from email to quoting to, you know, RFPs to customer communications to reducing the amount of phone calls that someone has to make to the shipper, to the broker. And so we're having a lot of these tech, uh, tech advancements, but they're very much as that other side that is very resistant to it. I would say drivers are the most resistant to it, but rightfully so, where it's going to impact more along the lines of supply chain is going to be those in-office workers, the accounting, the marketing, the sales teams, and also the folks that, that are doing a lot of pricing, a lot of quoting, um, different trade lanes all throughout the globe. Uh, what do those rates look like? Who's the carrier? Um, there's all of these different data points. Weather is another one. Um, geopolitical issues. Um, all of these different data points have to be pulled into consideration, mm -hmm. and it would be impossible to make educated guesses or educated decisions if you're not working with those different data sets and using technology on top of those data sets. Yeah, especially when you talk about the disparate data sets, the, the stuff that's not internal. It's not data that you've accumulated or hoarded over decades in your own internal systems. This is, you know, the geopolitical stuff, weather related stuff, economic data, all that stuff is third party that you, you've got to figure out a way to 
tie it all together with the internal stuff that you have. Um, and a lot of these folks, they don't have the conversations with those workers, with the, the the brokers that are making 100 phone calls a day or the drivers that are driving hundreds of miles a day. They aren't being consulted first for a lot of these these tech investments. And so when it comes down the pipeline, hey, you got to start using this tool. They don't want to use it. And then they figure out really quickly, oh, we just wasted a, a very large chunk of money on this investment because we didn't actually talk to the people who are going to be using the tool. Um, so that is, it sounds like such an easy thing, but I think for the last you know handful of years, a lot of folks within supply chain have been, um, it's almost like the the, the shiny, uh, shiny object syndrome where mm -hmm. they see the new tech tools and they are, they want to just go ahead and just buy them without realizing how it's going to fit into their already established processes. And then also from the lens of the workers who are actually going to use it. Um, so that's why, you know, I, I say right now is that there's a little bit of apprehension to invest in technology solutions unless you can prove that you can provide an ROI or solve a very specific problem, which sort of brings it back to where a lot of the niche players we talked about earlier in the conversation where they're going to play a really strong role. I mentioned it kind of briefly earlier that it, you know a large aspect of what's going on in this industry right now is fraud and prevention of fraud, cargo crimes, um, things, you know, smuggling across borders, um, smuggling into different ports. Um, a lot of these things are, uh, you know, they're, they're, it's on an uptick. And so you're what you're starting to see more and that has a direct impact on bottom line and ROI is that a lot of these companies are starting to invest in tracking software. And then it goes mm -hmm. back to the drivers. Do the drivers want to be tracked? Um, you know, there's different uh, elements with where you're shipping goods. I, I just talked to an insurance provider on, on the podcast the other day that that mentioned that for his uh, drivers in Mexico, they are only allowed to drive during the day. They're not allowed to drive at night because that's where their statistics are showing them that a majority of cargo crime is happening is at night. So when they do drive on the road, they drive during the day and they do not stop. Um, so a lot of these different factors, a lot of these different data points are going to, they should be impacting your decisions, but what are those niche players? What are they, what kind of solutions are they offering for the problems that exist right now that is directly impacting revenue? Fraud and cargo crime is a huge one, especially stateside. And I would imagine across the globe, um, but that is one that is, uh, the more investment is starting to come into that mix um, and, and more of a stronger focus on trying to prevent these issues because we can talk about all of just the general normal supply chain issues, but then you layer in the fact of cargo crime on top of it. And that it directly impacts pricing. It directly impacts consumer spending, the costs of goods. Um, it, it impacts a lot. So that that's a big factor of, of what's going on in supply chain right now that is trying to be combated with technology and with different insurance solutions, tracking things like that. But are the drivers going to use it? Are the brokers going to use it? Um, right. that still remains to be seen. So you're, you're touching on a lot of stuff here, like related to technology trends, human adoption. You talked earlier about, um, the dust settling from, from COVID and, and supply chains, just sort of resuming back to their 2018 normalcy, if there is such a thing. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot going on here, right? There's a lot of different things you're talking about. What, what do you see with all these supply chain managers that you talk to every day and interview on your podcast and whatnot? What are the biggest things that are keeping them up at night? You know, of all these things that are going on, it sounds like they might be spread thin. They've got a lot to a lot of balls in the air. What's keeping them? What's keeping them up at night? What worries them most when it relates to supply chain management? And some of these trends you're talking about. I would say definitely, um, it's almost a sentiment of don't rock the boat right mm -hmm. now. 
um, where they have, you know, we, we kind of talked about, you know, the, the tech uh, investments that they've made over the last five years didn't really come to fruition, hasn't really had a strong ROI. And so for a lot of folks, and especially what I'm, I'm hearing and what anecdotally, what I'm seeing is that for a lot of these businesses, it's a wait and see approach. It's a wait and see on how the consumers are going to be spending, how retailers are going to respond to that spending, if spending happens at all. And then from the investment side of things, margins are so thin right now. There was a huge boom during COVID where people were buying stuff like crazy and shipments. And, you know, it, I think pallets went from like $100 a piece to $2,000 a piece. And so a lot of these fluctuations that were massive pendulum shifts in the economy have started to settle back in. And so we, uh, I think there is a almost a desperation to find out what is the new normal? What does that look like? So there's a hesitancy to make those big investments right now and then to have kind of a wait and see approach on where they want to move that, those chess pieces on their chess board. And so I think for a lot of these folks, they just they don't want to make the wrong investment because the wrong investment could dramatically impact the bottom line. And when margins are already thin, that wrong investment could lead to a lot of people getting laid off. And so I think for a lot of folks, it very much is a wait and see approach don't rock the boat. We're here with Blythe Bremley talking about supply chain management trends in 2024 and beyond. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. I'm gonna leave it all out there I, uh, I'm gonna leave it all out there. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 139. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can also go to YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, where it streams every week, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. But the easiest way is just to go to transformationgroundcontrol.com, and you can find all the platforms that we're on there. So be sure to check out some of the past episodes you may have missed as well. We're here in the midst of a conversation with Blythe Broomleaf talking about supply chain management trends in 2024 and beyond. Let's jump back into the conversation. How are supply chain technology solution providers responding to that uh, that concern? Do you see them sort of get more aggressive or finding different angles to sell their their technologies to these these supply chain managers? Given that mindset, I mean, uh, for a lot of them, they're they're facing a hard reality. I think it's a, it's a reality for a lot of software providers that are especially ones that were VC backed. Um, the VCs and the, the venture capital funds, they, they want to see an ROI. They want to see that there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and for a lot of these technology solutions that haven't come to fruition, a lot of those companies are laying people off. And a lot of those, that funding is drying up. It's not so easy to get access to this funding to continue building up a business to gain market share 
now it's all about profitability. And yeah, I mean, it, for a lot of small business owners, especially medium-sized business owners, that should be like a, a duh moment that yes, your business has to make money. And so for, I think a lot of the, these software providers are really starting to have their, their come to Jesus moment where it's like, uh, you got to make some tough decisions. You have to figure out that path to profit profitability and what that looks like. You have to communicate that that to your your uh, funding partners. And then from the funding partner perspective, they don't really have a lot of patience. Um, and so they want to see that ROI. And if they don't see it, then you're going to be forced to unfortunately make uh, you know a lot of layoffs. A lot of freight tech uh, companies in our space have uh, dramatically uh, laid off a lot of their staff. Hundreds of people um, just in the last month have been laid off from a lot of these more tech-focused freight tech companies. And mm -hmm. so for, and it's not just bro, it's not just uh, tech companies, but also the brokerages that invested in a lot of those technology solutions, thinking that technology was going to solve all of their problems. And they forgot the people aspect. They forgot that, you know, it's not going to be this sort of uh, Scrooge McDuck situation where you're just going to dive in a pile of money every single year that COVID spending habits are over. And now you have to be a real business. You have to be profitable. You can't really wait any longer or otherwise a lot of people are going to suffer. And so you have to write the ship and you have to do it now. And that's where a lot of companies are starting to set themselves up for that 2024, hopefully success is by trimming the fat now. And unfortunately, that's it, a crude way of you know saying that when it comes to you know employee jobs and things like that, because ultimately they're the ones that, that burn the, or, or get the brunt end of it when um, upper management makes, you know, bad decisions and bad investment decisions. Um, mm -hmm. But that's the thing with the supply chain is that it's always evolving. It's one that's always going to be invested in. And so the thing with, you know, supply chain roles is that unfortunately, if you are laid off in one area, then there's probably several other areas that you could make the leap and make the jump um, career wise. And um, from an AI perspective, if you are not focused, if you are one of those folks that were laid off, and you're not focusing on just AI operations as a whole. Uh, I, I feel like that that is one area that is a glaring mistake, but it also could be a great opportunity because that's what every single one of these companies are wanting to do right now. They're wanting to be more productive and they want to cut costs and AI can help in both of those areas. And so for a lot of those folks, a lot of these software companies that built up, they had really high body counts um, it, inside their offices, a lot of these brokerages as well. Um, now it's about who who can rise to the top, who can use these these solutions in order to be more productive and to enhance their career, but also enhance the bottom line of a lot of these companies, because um, that that's really the only solution I see right now for a lot of these tech companies that are are forced to really look at the bottom line and look at their revenue, look at their P and Ls, and see where they stand and. You got to make smart decisions. You got to get leaner. And that's where I think, you know, for, for a lot of folks, it's the process mapping. It's the boring stuff, um, the process mapping, the software investments and how you're going to put AI and automation where it makes sense that the people can still be at the forefront of those building those relationships and then use this as almost like their their superpower that that nobody else sees. I'm going to have to disagree with you on one thing in that process mapping is boring. I totally disagree with you. <laughs> I think process mapping is really fun, but, but it's really challenging too. <laughs> it is. So do you think, you know, kind of shifting gears a little bit here into career, you know, supply chain management careers, which is a lot of, um, a lot of the questions we get on social media is related to how do I get into supply chain management? What area of supply chain management should I focus on? Is it a good area to focus on? What do you see here in terms of, um, 
just general career opportunities? Is it going to be more on the consulting side, sort of the outside third parties that are going to be more opportunity? Do you think it's the internal uh, types of people that can add value internally? Is it a combination of both or where, what do you see as like a trend in terms of careers in supply chain management? As, as terms of careers, I, I think I, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse when I'm going to say this, but AI operations, um, that is going to be the bread and butter of a variety mm. of different roles within all of supply chain. I mentioned from account, I, I don't, uh, this is uh, from a US based perspective, but we have a shortage of accountants. We have a shortage of CPAs in the United States. Accounting mm. is one of the largest departments. At a supply, at a uh, you know, a logistics company, at a supply chain company, the accounting department is some of the largest, and we have a shortage of those types of people. Then we need software to come in and help alleviate a lot of the overworked individuals who are already in those roles, and they really don't have sort of a reprieve and or a relief to come in and help them. Besides these different AI adoption technologies, and so what we're we're probably going to see, especially from a career perspective, is somebody who is impact or somebody who is fluent in process mapping, someone that is fluent in also AI operations. Where can AI fit in? How can we standardize our data so that it is good for these, these different large language models, these private ones that should be in deployment, that should be being built or at least looked into um, from a tech perspective from in, or a company perspective just in general. And so I think that the role of AI operations and having someone that has a general overview of that process mapping and then seeing where AI plays a role, I think there's an incredible opportunity in order to be able to be that main focal point, to be that main person who is focused on where can we implement AI? Where is it going to make sense? And so having someone that is, you know, a chief AI officer or someone who is, you know, their title is AI operations, um, I think is going to be a massive play um, and really sort of solidify uh, a little bit of a guarantee um, for a career in the near future where a lot of these other traditional roles are are being a lot of the, the I would imagine the the duties within those traditional roles. So think about the folks that are in the white collar work, the uh, research analyst, um, a pricing um, analyst. Um, a lot of those different roles are directly going to be impacted by AI where you might have had six people performing that job, whereas you might only need like two or three now if you use the tools like AI. So if you are in supply chain management or if you're looking to be in a supply chain kind of career or adjacent, I would get in on the ground floor. I would talk to the people that are in the trenches that are doing the work and then become the person who is the go-to AI person within the company that you can look at those different process maps. You can look at the different tech that you have or tech stacks that you have right now, the tech advancements that you could be making in the future or, or in addition to the AI responsibilities of how you can figure out where it's going to play a role in different departments all across the company, um, because it really is going to have a direct impact on revenue and productivity. So if you can be that person, be that person, dive mm -hmm. in, bookmark these tools, figure out how you can use them in every aspect of your job. It's going to help you get there a little bit faster. Now, it's not the end result. It is not, I have to put that caveat out there that it's not as simple as, you know, write me a sales email to a new customer and chat GPT. It's not that simple. You do have to have a level of expertise. And so that's where the higher thinking, um, the, the more of the strategic thinking individuals who can see where it makes sense for these AI automation machine learning tools to come into play, 
that's where it's going to really just almost put gasoline on the fire for a lot of these folks um, who are looking for a career that's going to have a little bit more longevity, whereas some of these other careers are a little bit more uh, in the balance of things of what trajectory they're going to go because AI is just impacting every single role at a variety of different levels. That's super interesting. Now, is that movement to AI and being, uh, maybe you're not going to be an entry level chief AI officer necessarily, although that could be a longer term career path for you. Um, this sort of ties into a question from, from Kyler here on, on LinkedIn, um, about breaking into the supply chain management industry. And what do you recommend to people that want to get into to logistics and supply chain management? Obviously AI is one area that, you know, if you know supply chain management and you know, AI, I think what you're saying, and I think what we agree on is that that's a great, that, that could be a great entry point. Are there other ways or other tactics or strategies or areas of focus that you think are going to be more important for people that are entering supply chain management right now in addition to AI? I mean, they're not going to like this, but you got to you got to get it on the ground level with some of these. A, a lot of uh, transportation and logistics professionals, they are in the field there. It's more blue collar. It's hard work um, getting into that aspect of it. So um, maybe like a forklift driver, uh, maybe warehouse operations. Um, you could also go work for a big brokerage. They're always always hiring. And when I say brokerage, I mean, freight brokerage, um, the people mm -hmm. that are kind of like the middleman who are arranging the truck drivers and the warehouse operators and the customers and the manufacturers. Um, so being that middleman will really give you a, a breadth of, of knowledge in all areas of the supply chain. And then you can take that role and you can turn it into something that's AI operations. You can figure out where technology plays a larger role, but you can't know that until you do some of this work that's in the trenches. Um, even if you're a software player, I, I would encourage you to go to some of these operations of where you're building that software and seeing how they're using the software. You know, I was just talking to a company the other, or a couple months ago, that they have their development team, their warehouse manage. they have a warehouse management software system. They went to one of their customers and they sat in with their customer for a full week and just watched, watch how they use their tool, watch how they use the mobile app. They gained so much more insight from watching the in-the-trenches workers that they were able to turn around and make improvements to their product and be able to sell that use case to other companies. Now, mm. when you have that kind of experience from maybe a software vendor perspective or you're actually the one doing the work in the trenches, you can then flip that into that supply chain manager role within a customer role. So say a Target, say a Walmart, um, a Costco, you know, building into Sephora, not Sephora, but maybe a Sephora, um, some makeup brands, uh, consumer packaged goods, you know, uh, beverages. Um, you can, once you learn the in the trenches knowledge, you can take that knowledge and you can go to one of these bigger companies and become the worker on the other side where you're the one calling the, and not having to worry about calling the truck drivers and calling the warehouse operations and making appointments and things like that. So you could parlay that role into something where you're a supply chain management manager role into more on the customer side of things. So there is that evolution. But if you want, if you're young and if you're hungry and you want to get it on the ground level, I would I would go to the nearest warehouse. I would go to the nearest freight brokerage and I would get in and I would learn everything about 
the modes that they're, of shipments that they're using, the equipment that they're using, the commodities that they're shipping. And then once you learn just the basics, you don't even really need to go to college for this. And that's what is the best part is that you can learn some supply chain management, uh, key tools, things like that, of course, in college. But a lot of the learning, a lot of that happens while you're working at the companies. You learn how the, how the sausage is made. Um, you learn all the int intricacies. And then you can parlay that into other areas that have more longevity and have more opportunity for maybe what you want to do, such as AI operations role or a supply chain manager role. But getting in on the ground level and the in the trenches work is key to understanding where those problems exist. Because no matter if you maybe are an executive level role, we kind of hinted this early, uh, earlier in the show, you know, they are making these bad tech investments because they're not talking to those folks who are in the trenches working. So if you're talking yeah. to those in the trenches employees, or if you're doing the work yourself, you have a much better idea of where these tech solutions make sense. And then you can parlay that experience into maybe a freight tech role, um, a logistics tech role, or on the other side of things where you go and actually work at the, at the customer level, at the manufacturer level, and then you manage the shipments on that side of things as well. And you manage the entire supply chain, the source of the source for your products, um, things like that. So I would advise get in on the trenches, learn it there first, and then you have a much better idea of where technology and other roles will, will have a greater impact, especially while we're, we're trying to still figure out what the hell is going on post COVID. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it gives you a lot more credibility, you know, if you want to move up the food chain and become a supply chain manager or a COO or whatever, you know, whatever future aspirations you might have, having that credibility at the ground level is going to be a lot more so, especially great example you gave on the tech investments, the, the bad tech investments. Part of that could be that maybe these are guys and gals that are too far removed from the front lines. Either they didn't start off there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'd say, uh, you know, the, the college, the university and college route is probably good. I guess if you want to be, you know, a consultant, certainly that can help. Uh, but back to your point, you, you don't have that hands-on credibility necessarily just from having the, the college degree or the university degree. That's th those curriculums. They just frankly can't keep up. And that's, you know, we, we've covered a lot and, you know, there's this short time talking, but there's been so much that has happened that has impacted every aspect of the supply chain journey for all of your products, all of your goods. And it's just happened within the last three years. So everything we thought we knew, you know, prior to that has just been upended. And so for a lot of these colleges, their curriculum just frankly can't keep up. And so the best way to get that you know, sort of trial by fire knowledge is to just go work for these companies. Right. right. Great, great advice. Now, speaking of advice, just sort of a capstone question here. What, what advice would you give to organizations that are still trying to They're still trying to navigate some of these supply chain challenges today. And I think what we're saying and what I've heard you say is that these challenges are not going to go away. They're going to continue to evolve and change, but they're not going to go away. So what do you, what do you recommend to a, uh, an organization or a team that might just be struggling in general and they're not really sure where to, where to start or what to do to kind of look to 2024 and beyond? I think you have to look internally. It, it has to come with the people from within. Where are the opportunities that you have workers within your organization that want to do something else, that want to do something more? Um, it's not just a matter of employee recruitment, but employee retainment, talent, keeping your top talent within your organization, not having them go to a competitor or to another industry. And so for, uh, I think it starts from within, it starts with the, it, I, 
not the boring stuff, the exciting stuff, the process mapping. Um, so it starts from within looking at your people, looking at your tech stack, looking at your processes, and then figuring out where those investments make the most sense. Do you need more bodies in the office making sales calls? Or do you need that software solution that's going to come into play that's going to be able to help you combat fraud? I, you know, I was just talking to a, a company the other, the other day that I was surprised that this didn't already exist, but it's essentially a credit score and rating for brokers and shippers. And so from a customer, a shipper perspective, they really have an outside of Google reviews and a couple different sort of legacy software systems. They really have no idea who is hauling their freight, who is hauling their goods. And so the greater transparency, greater visibility into who is hauling all of your goods? Who is involved in this processes? And so that company, what they do is they provide almost a credit score for a lot of these brokers and carriers. So then that way they can make these benchmark decisions on what is the most profitable trade lane? Which ones are can we focus more on? Which carriers are the most profitable? They're most on time. They're most reliable within those different trade lanes. And so having all of that additional data points, it just makes a ton of sense for a lot of companies to be able to say, let's slow down. The economy is slowed down. So you have this extra time to be able to look at these things more in depth. You can kind of catch your breath a little bit and look at where the investments that not only you're going to make right now, but possibly in the near future, you can't make those predictions. You can't make those investments unless you're working with the people within your company. You're talking to your customers. That's one thing that I haven't mentioned yet. It is so vital. It's so important regularly having meetings with your customers to figure out what go, what's going on with them. And then that way you can plan your operations appropriately, depending on how technology is being integrated and adopted within your own organization. If you have people that are slow to adopt technology, but you want to make technology investments, it's going, you're going to have a little bit of a more challenging time. So it's talking to your people, figuring out what the pulse of your own internal workers are at, where you can make some shifts and adjustments, and then figuring out what those processes look like, and then adopting AI automation, machine learning on top of that in order to help you become more profitable. And then if you're more profitable, then your customers are going to be more profitable. And it just has a ripple effect for everybody else in society. I mean, that, that's really how supply chain works is that if you can save your customers a little bit of money, then they're going to save their customers a little bit of money. Um, ideally, that's the way it's supposed to work. But you know, that's a whole right. other conversation. If, <laughs> you know, we don't have time, probably don't have time to get time. into all that. <laughs> right. Okay, thank you, Blythe. Great conversation. And thank you to the audience for the great questions and comments as it relates to supply chain management. Uh, clearly a lot to think about as it relates to supply chain management in the coming year and years. And we're going to unpack a few of the themes and threads that we started to pull on there with Blythe here in just a moment. But first, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology-agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com.
Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 139. My name is Eric Kimberling, here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. So, Kyler, we just had Blythe on the show for a second time. Great conversation, as always. She's got a lot of energy, a lot of knowledge, a lot of really interesting stuff she brought up that uh, sort of a, an update from the last time she was on the show as it relates to supply chain management. We haven't talked about supply chain management a lot in, in recent episodes, although in the past episodes, we have talked about it a lot. Um, so it's very interesting to sort of dive into that topic a bit more here uh, today. But what were some of your takeaways and observations from that conversation? Absolutely. Well, actually, um, Everything Logistics is one of my favorite podcasts. And it's just it's funny because I don't have a huge background in that, but I find it absolutely fascinating. So some of the, the most um, entertaining episodes she's done, like, for example, she does one around the NFL and how you basically get all of the things to the National Football League here in um, the US and how essentially they get everyone there, all of the things there. And you've just never really thought about all of the things that go behind the scenes of a business like that. Something that also reminds me of is some of our food and beverage case studies. We do a lot of work on food and beverage logistics and distribution here at Third Stage. So highly recommend those case studies if you want to kind of like dig into what that looks like. They're some of my favorite things to talk about because you, again, don't think about things like temperature re regulation and looking at all of the the different um, distribution and the logistics that come into specific verticals of business. Um, so I, I think she does such a great job of breaking that down in a digestible way in which you can truly understand the importance of that. And the reason why she does so well of that is because her ability to do that for businesses. And I know you had mentioned that you, you know, you love business process mapping, don't we all? Uh, but understanding <laughs> Who doesn't? truly what that looks like. And not only from a, a perspective of thinking about like a bunch of people from operations doing that, but I thought her point about under, but about engaging that really front lines, qualitative information from whomever is on the front lines of your logistics, whether it's truck drivers, whether it's, you know, all those different things to really understand the experience of what that looks like. Um, and I never really thought about the importance of of really engaging that layer of the business to understand how you you create more efficiencies in your logistics and more you know uh, flexibility in your supply chain. Yeah, it's so true, and it's it's um, it's a common thread that we seem to touch on, regardless of what functional area we're discussing, whether supply chains or finance or manufacturing or whatever, whatever area, you know, we talked about the chief marketing officers earlier and the marketing departments. Um, so all these different parts of a business, regardless of what part of the business they are, it's sort of the same theme or the same thread, which is you need to get the frontline involvement. And if you go in and do what she was saying, a lot of supply chain managers are doing, which is forcing in technology without considering the needs of, of the frontline employees, you're going to end up with all these big investments without a lot of ROI to show for it, or worse yet, it's going to, going to be no ROI in addition to a money pit and a lot of risk and cost that goes along with it. So I think it's a, it's, if anything, it's just a smart business decision, you know, to, to improve your ROI and reduce the risk and cost of the, of the overall initiative. Absolutely. And, and she kind of, uh, I wrote down the digital movement that she had mentioned that there's, you know, this, this movement to digitization and 
and really considering the human factor of that, of knowing that you could digitize, you could automate, you could leverage AI, and that certainly is the future, but you still are going to need those truck drivers, as we gave that example, to drive the truck. Um, you know, we could we could go into things like autonomous vehicles, but we're we're still not there yet. And to get that ROI that you mentioned, if you don't consider that as a, a pillar, kind of the, what you talk about in your book, The Final Countdown, that in coupling with emergency emerging technologies like AI, then you're not going to be successful if you don't take that holistic view, which I thought, you know, was a really refreshing um, strategy that she had mentioned. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You do have to take that that big picture view. And it, it gets back, you know, speaking of the final countdown in, in the book um, that you can get at the final countdown.com. You can also go search on Amazon for it. Uh, but in the book, we talk about the people process technology and strategy aspects, you know, sort of like really focus on people process and technology. And then how do you align all that with your, your strategy? It's the same kind of thing with supply chain management too. You've got to make sure that the things that you're investing in and the things that you're trying to change are selective and strategic and focused on enabling some of the things you're trying to accomplish as an organization. Absolutely. And kind of the last thing I'll, I'll touch on, which I you know hope that we can find some some additional content around. I went from cybersecurity and now we're talking about smuggling, modern day pirates and things like that. Um, and <laughs> right. just the risk associated with supply chain and in all seriousness, understanding those opportunities. And one thing I wanted to ask you that, that some of our audience, we couldn't, we didn't have um, some questions we didn't see on that end, but I think one of the great questions we, we could ask is those, those areas of weakness within the supply chain in best of breed solutions. So you guys kind of talked about the, the niche solution and the integration, but are those opening up areas where there could be spe specific weaknesses in your cybersecurity or security areas? Like what's the, the risk assessment for that when you're looking at maybe more of a, a heightened supply chain software, a, a niche solution in that area? Yeah, great question. I mean, anytime you have multiple systems, you are exposing the potential targets or you're increasing the number of potential targets for a cybersecurity attack or any sort of security breach or any sort of risk for that matter. Um, because now instead of one system that could get attacked and one entry point that someone could misappropriate information or data or, or have some sort of security loophole, every time you add a new system to your stack, you're, you're increasing that in the, in the more integrated the systems are, which most of us want integrated systems. Um, that just creates more vulnerabilities across your entire technology ecosystem. So, um, yeah, you've got the best of breed considerations that you brought up in the discussion around, you know, how do you, how do you best leverage technology that are kind of targeted and focused and niched on certain things, that's an important consideration. And that does increase the cybersecurity risk potentially. But then also we didn't really get into it with Blythe, but she did talk about uh, at a high level, she talked a lot about AI and artificial intelligence and some of these open data platforms. That's another security risk too, that we don't oftentimes think about. It's not a, it's not that a hacker is necessarily going to come in and steal your information, but now your information is out in an AI model somewhere. And uh, a few weeks ago, we had Marcus Harris as a guest on the show, and he talked about intellectual property considerations and cybersecurity considerations as it relates to AI in, in particular. So you, if you want to learn more about that, um, that 
topic or that risk, I'd highly encourage you to go back a few episodes and find the last one that Marcus Harris was on um, as a, as a guest. And he was, uh, he'll be the guy, if you look at the thumbnails on the, on the podcast, he's a guy, he's probably the only guy wearing a suit uh, amongst all the guests. So that's probably the easiest way to find him. But he talks a lot about that in that episode. It's a really good one too. So I encourage you to check that out. Absolutely. We'll highly recommend um, Blythe's uh, thought leadership and content that she puts out. It's one of my favorites um, to view. She's got um, a lot of a lot of really great and insightful information. Um, so what a great conversation. Definitely always love to, to have her back um, and kind of understand the importance of a complex subject that really should be something that you embrace the complexity of. There's so much opportunity and again, what a time to be alive for supply chain um, overall strategies right now because they are constantly evolving and constantly changing. I think probably you could argue uh, that the evolution of a supply chain manager over the last five years has completely changed, which is why, you know, you have such interest in that um, as young professionals or career change, because it does have the opportunity to, you know, give you that insight across a lot of areas of the business. So thank you, Blythe, for um, the great conversation. And thank you, Eric. Definitely lots um, of insights. I always call it a rewatcher on there. Um, get your pens and pencils out to uh, really understand all the different great nuances you can take out of that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. She's a great guest and we'll look forward to having her on again, on again here soon. So uh, thank you for the great questions to everyone who had them there for that discussion. So we've got uh, another segment left where we're, we're going to get to a couple different topics here. We're going to get to ERP software, Mythbusters, and Two Truths and a Lie. So be sure to stick around for that. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling with Third Stage Consulting and your host of Transformation Ground Control. I want to encourage you to read our Guide to Organizational Change Management. It's a free report or a free guide that we published. It's one that I actually wrote that talks about best practices and lessons learned as it relates to change management. So as you know, on this podcast, we cover a lot of stuff related to the human sides of change, you know, organizational change management, including training, communications, org design, all kinds of stuff as it relates to change management. So if you're trying to learn more about change management or you're looking for more direction and ideas on how to get started on your change management strategy and your overall journey, be sure to check out this guide. You can read it by scanning the QR code on the screen in front of you or in the links below for this particular podcast episode. You can find a link to uh, take you to the page that will allow you to register to go ahead and download that and read it for free. So be sure to check it out. It's the Guide to Organizational Change Management uh, written by yours truly. I hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think and hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 139. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And you can also go back and uh, listen to and view past episodes at transformationgroundcontrol.com as well. So we've got a couple of video clips we're going to play here. Kyler, why don't you tell us a little bit about these two clips and, and set up the first one for us? Yeah, well, you know, we always like to have fun here on Ground Control and at Third Stage. Um, so what we did is kind of uh, a twist on some icebreaker games um, and some, you know, con uh, common 
uh, trending topics about Mythbusters. So I have two different um, areas in which I'd, I'd love our audience feedback around. Uh, we have a two truths and a lie ERP edition. Um, so you'll have to let me know in the comments which one you think is uh, the truth or the lie. And then also our Mythbuster edition of ERP. So if you have other Mythbusters or common misconceptions around um, ERP or, or technology implementation in general, definitely put those in the comments. We'll source those and create kind of a cool poll at the end. Um, so with that, let's go ahead and uh, jump into these videos. So today we're going to have a little fun and we're going to look at two truths and a lie when it comes to digital transformation. As we all know, digital transformation is a hot topic right now. It's reshaping industries across the globe. But how well do you know the truths and myths around it? Okay, so here's how it's going to work. I'm going to give you three statements, statements A, B, and C about digital transformation. And remember, only one is a lie. So I want you to put the lie that you think is in the comments. So put either A, B, or C. So let's get started. All right, statement A, digital transformation only involves implementing new technologies. Statement B, companies that undergo digital transformation often experience increased efficiency and customer satisfaction. Statement C, Digital transformation requires a change in company culture and mindset. So let's take a moment to think and drop it in the comments. Which one do you think is the fib? Okay, have you locked in your answers? Let's break it down. All right, so statement A said that digital transformation only involves implementing new technologies. Now, while new tech is a big part of it, transformation tools go way beyond that. Statement B claimed that companies undergoing this transformation often see a boost in efficiency and customer happiness. That is absolutely right. With streamlined processes and improved customer experiences, businesses can really thrive using new technology. And finally, statement C. It mentioned that change in company culture and mindset is really essential for digital transformation. Now, this is a big one. Without the right culture or mindset, even the best technology will fall flat. So, the lie was statement A. Digital transformation isn't just about new technology. It's about strategy, culture, and so much more. Kudos to all of you that put letter A in the comments. So though this is a lighthearted game to look at the fun side of digital transformation, I really want to dig into why this is a lie. Because it's not only a lie, but it's a common misconception when it comes to digital transformation, ERP implementation, or any new technology integration within an organization. So let's break down why this is a lie. Digital transformation or digital enterprise operations, as we've started to call it, is not a mere technical change, but it's a holistic business strategy transformation. 
It really affects the entire organization, encompassing processes, employee roles, customer interactions, and just overall core business objectives. Technology has truly become the spine of organizations. Really, any role is affected by new technology or a new technology implementation. That's why it's absolutely critical to know that it is not the technology. It is the people, the process, and then the technology. But without the two Ps, people and process, you will not achieve maximum value and your implementation will often fail. Now, one of the most significant challenges of any digital transformation is managing change. It sounds easy, but it is way more complex than people give it credit for. If an organization's culture is not ready or willing to adapt to the most cutting edge technology, it won't succeed. You could have the shiniest, sparkliest, most efficient technology within your technology stack or portfolio as an organization, if your processes are not aligned to optimize this new technology, or if your people are resistant to utilizing the new technology, you will not achieve the return on investment that you put into the actual technical system. Employees really need to understand the true value or the what's in it for me with new technology so they can be trained adequately and create a positive relationship with this new technology or process. Digital transformation really at its core is a people issue just as much as a technical issue. So simply put, implementing a new technology will not yield any effective results if the processes around these technologies are not supported or optimized. Businesses always need to revisit and reshape their core processes in order to fully leverage the benefits of new technology. Many times when we go into an organization or when our team goes in to assess an organization who has either already selected their new technology or is considering selecting a new technology, what we see is broken business processes. And a lot of times with well intentions, they get so excited about selecting a new technology that will grow their business that they don't take a hard look at their current state. What are their current processes? What are the roles and responsibilities around their current processes? How does that affect their customer business experience? And how do their employees perceive these processes? Where are they broken? Where are the optimization data points? All of these different initiatives need to really be considered when looking at a new technology. A new technology will not come in and fix broken processes. At the heart of many digital transformation initiatives is the desire to improve customer experience. While technology really plays a critical role, understanding the customer needs, redesigning that customer journey, and focusing on the user experience are really all integral parts of this equation. So when we go back to the core part of this conversation, we talk about why digital transformation is more than just technology. Well, if your customer, that actual user, is not considered when looking at your digital transformation or digital strategy in general, you will fail in realizing the benefits of the new technology. 
a customer-centric approach is really going to be critical when looking at any new enterprise tech that you're bringing into your stack. This ensures that your digital transformation, whether internal or external, is really considering the end user and the customer within the holistic approach of your project. Even the best cutting edge customer experience technology will not optimize your customer experience unless you've mapped it out and been intentional about your unique requirements as an organization and the unique needs of your customer. Digital transformation is not just a one-time event. It's really a continuous living, breathing journey. It's the DNA of your organization. Now, while technology implementation can be a project with a start and end date, maintaining competitiveness requires that ongoing adaption, learning, and evolution. This is another aspect that showcases that going beyond the technology is so important when it comes to digital strategy. We want to ensure that our users, both internal and external, are given the opportunity to create positive relationships through learning and adapting to our intuitive design. We also want to make sure the internal architecture is effectively passing data so we're getting actionable insights that can make us and help us and arm us to make good business decisions. So new technology adoption without a clear strategy can really lead to a wasteland of resources. Digital transformation really requires a clear vision of where the organization wants to go and why, and most importantly, how the technologies will help achieve these goals. So let's break this down a little bit. If we don't have a clear roadmap of where we're going as an organization and how our digital strategy supports that, there is absolutely no point in investing in new technology because the new technology won't have hard and actionable KPIs about how it benefits those core objectives. The number one question we ask when working with a new client is what do you wanna be when you grow up? What are your goals? What is your company strategy? And a lot of times they want to lean naturally towards more of the technical side. Well, we want X, Y, and Z functionality. That's great, but how will X, Y, and Z functionality support your core goals as a business? Those need to be married and coupled in the same conversation if you really want to achieve a higher ROI or whatever objectives is around your digital transformation journey. So just introducing a new technology does not guarantee seamless operations. There's often a need to integrate new solutions with existing legacy systems, processes, data sharing, all types of different things, which requires a deep understanding of the organization's current IT infrastructure. Now we call this at third stage interoperability and we call it enhancing digital enterprise operations. We feel that is the new frontier of digital transformation because really what it encompasses is exactly what this lie is telling us, that digital transformation is just about technology, when it's truly an operational and cultural component of a new business strategy, and it really needs to be seen that way in order to be effective. 
Interoperability is really the concept of making sure that the data flows throughout the organization effectively. So many times we see different departments utilizing different technology so the data isn't matching up in order to give a holistic and effective health check of the organization. If you have different data points that are being measured in different departments, you have no ability to have a clear visualization of what is happening throughout the organization. This is absolutely critical to maintain a competitive advantage and efficiencies without high costs for the leadership team. Interoperability is something that you want to focus on in that phase zero planning or in that pre-implementation planning when you do map out all of the processes, roles and responsibilities and take an audit of current technology to ensure that you're integrating effectively across systems that need to stay within your technology portfolio. Interoperability has actually become so important to business strategy that we've seen niche systems actually come onto the technology landscape that help support interoperability, like the hot technology Palantir or Snowflake that have been so high on stock value of late. That's because they're able to show organizations the need for their data integration and just the overall health of data within their organization. In summary, while technology is undeniably a major factor in any digital transformation, focusing it on it exclusively really misses the broader picture. A true successful digital transformation strategy requires a combination of the right tools and technologies, a supportive and adaptive culture, optimized business processes, and a clear strategic vision. Thank you so much for joining me today and I hope you had a little bit of fun when it comes to a very complex and technology focused conversation. All right, interesting video. I'd be curious to see what the audience thinks uh, the two truths and a lie are. Um, so be sure to comment uh, in the in the chat wherever you're, you're watching here today. Um, we've got another one we're going to play for you here in just a moment. It's ERP software Mythbusters. So we'll stick around for that. We're going to take a quick break and we'll play you that clip, which is another really interesting uh, clip you're going to want to stick around for. So. We'll be back with ERP software Mythbusters here in just a moment. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Could you whisper in my ear the things you want to feel? Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 139. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyla Cheatham. You can find new episodes of the show at transformationgroundcontrol.com uh, every Wednesday. And you can also go listen to and view past episodes as well. So you've got a video here for ERP software Mythbusters, Kyler. Tell us a little bit about this clip you're going to play for us. Yeah, so we know a lot of 
of failure in um, ERP or digital transformation is built around common misconceptions or common areas in which might be misunderstood. Uh, so what we thought we would do is take a fun take on that and go through some Mythbusters um, ERP edition. So as always, I'd love to hear your common misconceptions that you've seen or experienced within your technology implementation as I go through that. So uh, let's roll this clip. We are debunking common misconceptions about ERP systems. So with that, let's get into it. Before we start, I want to highly recommend that you download our newly released Top Systems of 2024 report, which is linked below. This will be great pre-work for us talking through these common myths and misconceptions. So with that, let's jump in. So many people, many business leaders believe ERP systems are really the only way to achieve operational efficiency. However, what we've seen is an evolution around modern or traditional ERP. We see solutions that are best of breed in nature, meaning that they support a specific industry or area of the business. We've seen the rise of the tier two ERP solutions that might not be as big and complex, but can be really a great match for a smaller mid-size organization. We've also seen custom applications and open source systems that allow you to modularly build your ERP system with exactly what you'd need. We've seen the rise of low-code, no-code enterprise support systems that give the operations the ability to deploy modules or applications with the speed of the business without investing in high-cost development services. Busting this myth is really important to choose the best solution for your organization. And this really starts with understanding your specific business vision and using that to build a sophisticated digital strategy, going out and doing an impartial technology agnostic and independent evaluation, really understand that a vendor's job is to sell you software. So looking through that with professional skepticism to have the ability to really choose what is best for you. ERPs are not always the answer for every single business. There's a common fear that ERP implementations cause major workflow disruptions. In reality, with the right strategy, the shift can actually be pretty seamless or painless. Now this myth can easily be busted with a very tight and intentional ERP planning strategy. This is one of those myths that actually can be true without effective and strategic planning around ERP implementations. And this is true for any technology implementation or process change within your business. Mitigating any risk of true business disruption really starts with that phase zero planning. Ensuring that your implementation strategies are not only assessing your current state as a business, but your future state operating model or target future state operating model. These need to be very sophisticated and mapping out the operational side as well as the roles and responsibilities or the people communication planning side to ensure that there's no major disruption. So where this often goes wrong, making this myth actually a reality, is many times organizations will do their due diligence on the technical operational process side. They will ensure that their processes are mapped out to match the requirements 
of the new technology. They'll do testing, their due diligence to make sure that it actually functionally works. However, what they leave out is the people side of new technology and really being intentional and mindful about how the technology is perceived and communicated within your organization. Now, the biggest remediation projects we get involved in and the most expensive come from not taking into account the people's and cultural perspective of new technology in your organization. So you want to make sure you give enough time, budget, and resources on the process side as the people side when looking at a new ERP implementation that will not cause disruption within your organization. Now this is a very common and hot topic within our industry today and the myth suggests that ERP or new emerging technologies such as AI or artificial intelligence will replace human workers. The truth here is that technology may automate mundane or manual tasks, letting employees focus on more strategic roles or initiatives, but they will not completely replace the need for human resources in general. With any new technology, you can have things like autonomous systems that utilize sensors to make strategic business decisions. However, without the cleanliness of data and code that go into these systems, they are just what they're called, artificial. They do not have the ability to make human brain decisions that involve what's best for the business. They also don't understand goals and objectives. You need to make sure that there are maintenance checks or project health checks to make sure that any system that has autonomous or artificial intelligence involved in it is actually getting a human brain checking it on a regular basis. These outputs are only going to remain effective for the business if they are aligned with strategic goals through human interaction. systems are not a one-size-fits-all approach. Different industries, business sizes, and goals means there's a diverse spectrum of enterprise resource planning systems out in the marketplace. Now this myth goes along with myth number one, that, that ERPs are the answer for everything. That's not the truth. ERP systems need to match the needs and requirements of the organization in order to be effective. If you're not seeing what you need in the ERP evaluation process, diversify your vendor selection and engage a technology agnostic independent third-party partner like ThirdStage that might have the industry or specific requirement experience to get you exactly what your business needs. Something we see a lot within our industry is once an ERP system is installed or implemented, it's set in stone, meaning there can't be optimization or changes once it goes live. This is not the case specifically anymore. Modern ERP systems have evolved. They have the ability to scale and adapt with changing business needs in order for the business to remain responsive and competitive. This myth is especially important to debunk when you're going into the evaluation phase. You have to remember that vendors' jobs and agenda is to sell you new systems that they're targeted to sell you. We see this conversation a lot with on-prem systems versus SaaS or cloud-based solutions. Many times, because SaaS solutions make the ERP vendors more money, 
We see clients pushed into those, specifically when you are told that your system, your legacy system is being sunsetted or they'll no longer support the maintenance of that system and pushed into a cloud-based system. Now, cloud solutions are a great option if it fits the needs of the business, but the needs of the business need to remain the priority. Modern ERP systems can fit what you need as far as your specific requirements. You do not have to change your business processes. When you do buy an off-the-shelf solution or a vanilla ERP as we call it, there are some times when your processes need to adapt and there's a compromise, but there is no need to completely overhaul your current processes or future state processes in order to meet the requirements of a specific technology. There are options out there. There's a diverse group of options out there. And once it's set in stone, does not mean that you do not have the ability to optimize. When we talk about the third stage of an ERP implementation, we talk about after go live, post go live, when you're really optimizing the use of the technology within your business through user adoption strategies or understanding key KPIs. When we talk about the third stage of an ERP implementation, we really talk about what post go live looks like. So when all of your vendor partners have kind of faded into the background because you have gone live, that's their job. They've sold you the software and your SI has helped you implement it. But now you really need to take ownership of optimizing it. That does not mean that once the implementation is over, that post-go-live should not be a priority or that you can't optimize your system to continue to meet your business needs. As we've talked about, there's a diverse reason for that. There's a diverse group of strategies in which you can implement into your organization after you actually turn on and are utilizing the new system. Now, while software is key, a successful ERP implementation is equally about people and process just as much as technology. Debunking this common myth is something that is absolutely important when we change the conversation in the industry. Here at Third Stage, we have a movement to look at technology as more than just technical pieces, but as living, breathing people and processes. If you are going to implement a new technology within your organization, you need to give ample time to each three of these pronged approach for a successful digital transformation strategy. You need to look at the technical aspect of what your business needs as far as requirements and functionality. You need to look at the processes, your current and future state to create efficiencies through new technologies. And you need to look at your people. Is your culture ready for a new technology? What is the perception around that new technology? And how will you effectively communicate the what's in it for me around why people should adapt to this new technology? I can't tell you the amount of times we've sat in executive meetings and they say, well, because it's their job to adapt to this new technology. And we all sit there and say, thank you very much, but that's never going to work. If you don't consider the people side of the scenario, your ERP implementation will fail and there is a lot of data in the industry to prove that. So when we are setting you up with these myths around what it means to implement an ERP system or select an ERP system, you want to ensure you have the three pillars of people, process, 
and technology in order to be successful. ERP systems are absolute game changers, but only when they're understood and strategically executed effectively. So the next time you hear a tall tale about an ERP system or implementation, you will know fact from fiction. I'm Kyler Cheatham. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you had a little fun with this lighthearted way to look at misconceptions that are important in the industry and cause this epidemic of ERP failure. All right. Very interesting clip. I'm curious to hear what the audience thinks as well. So be sure to drop your comments in the, in the chat, wherever you're listening or watching here today. And uh, thank you again for another great episode, Kyler, and to the, to the audience for the great questions and comments. And uh, thank you everyone for listening here today as well. Again, you can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can also go back and watch past episodes at transformationgroundcontrol.com as well. You can also just go to YouTube or LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, where we stream new episodes every Wednesday. And you can also search for us on audio podcast platforms throughout the world. So thank you for being here today. We look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great week. In the meantime, we'll see you next week on Transformation Ground Control. didn't uh if you weren't able to actually let me do that over that doesn't that's not relevant at all my name is eric kimberling um nope that's that's how i start a video not this okay that's really weird hello welcome to gosh strong start it's okay you gotta get it all out at the beginning and then it'll be smooth sailing from there all the screw-ups just it's like vomiting you just get it out now and then then you're good Mm -hmm.